Turn with me to the Acts, the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And uh, I've asked uh, my two sons here, my two older sons, to help me with the reading. So I'm going to go ahead and ask Aiden to go ahead and come on up and read the first half of the chapter. And a certain man in a Caesarea came all Cornelius, a centurion in of what was called of the Italy Regiment, and a devout man, and, and one who feared God, with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people who prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an, an angel of God coming, coming in and saying to him, and Cornelius, and when and he observed him, and he was afraid, and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorable before God. Now send men to Joppa to send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, an attainer whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop up to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and went and saw heaven open and an object like like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending into him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creepy things, and birds of the air. Uh, and a voice called to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I had never eaten anything common or unclean. A voice spoke to him again the second time, When God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done the third three times, and the objects was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wandered within himself, what this vision in which he had seen meant, behold, the men and who had, had sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called all and asked whether Simon, and whose surname was Peter, was lounging there. While Peter thought about the vision, and the spirit told, said to him, Behold, the three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore go down and go to them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And then Peter went down unto the men who had, had been sent to him from, from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am, am whom you seek. For what reason have, have you come? And, and they said, Cornelius, the centurion and just man who fears God and, and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews and was divinely instructed by the whole the angel to summon you to his house and to hear your words from you. Then he invited them in and lounged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them um, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Thank you, Aiden. Dale? 
And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, For what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness, is accepted by him. But the word of God, which send to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that, that the word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which God preached, which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went out doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witness of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on the tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to only all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is he who was ordained by God to be judged of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still preaching these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. All those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit? just as well as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Thank you, Dale. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. So this morning's allotted passage is not just chapter 10, but it's part of chapter 11. And actually, in my opinion, it goes into chapter 9. And it's this um, uh, parenthesis, if you would, in the story or in the historical narrative of the Acts. We were uh, last week talking about the conversion of Saul slash to be named Paul. And then uh, the, the, the narrative stops at Saul and then begins again with Peter in chapter 9. From chapter 9, verse 32, all the way through to chapter 11, verse 18. Uh, obviously, we're not going to be able to go through all of it verse by verse. But I do want to spend uh, the allotted time as much as we can in chapter 10 because the majority of... Um, 
the meat of this passage is found in chapter 10. But I will allude to chapter 9 and I will allude to chapter 11. And in your study, I'd encourage you to look at the entire section as a whole, uh, where, where Peter comes into the picture and where Peter ends, uh, comes out of the picture. Now, let me say this. Last week, we, 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 uh, we learned about Saul and the conversion of Saul. And as, and as dramatic and as, and as, uh, wonderful and, and climactic as that was, I want to pose to you that the conversion of Cornelius and his household holds far greater value in my mind than Saul's. Now, granted, any soul coming to the the Lord, any soul uh, coming to repentance before God is is a joyous event. That's true. But there is a massive amount of significance in the conversion of Cornelius and his household for many reasons. It's not just that he was Italian. It's not just that, that he was in Caesarea. It's not just that Peter was called to, 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 to go to Cornelius. For the Lord was beginning to shift and change the dynamic in the church. And he had to begin to change the hearts and the minds of his people as to how he was going to work in his church. Now, I, I know that all that seems pretty ominous, but... Before we get into this passage, I I have to uh, at least give you some introductory comments and some passages. I want to look at some passages together with you to give you the context, why this is so important, why this passage is so dramatic and and it's earth shattering. To us, we read it and we go, wow, that's that's very good. The Lord showed a guy a vision. The Lord showed another guy a vision. They got together and people were saved. Praise the Lord. There was a lot more going in the background than just that. For you see, Peter was a Jew. And those around him were Jews. They were Orthodox Jews. In chapter 11, he calls them, those are the circumcision. At the end of chapter 10, he calls uh, uh, the, the ones, his, his compatriots, the ones who are with him. It says uh, in verse 44, 45, it says, those of the circumcisions who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured upon the Gentiles. So there's a, there's a divide at this moment between Peter and the Jews. Those of the circumcision and Cornelius and his household. Those of the uncircumcision. And there's this great barrier, this great wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And you may say, well, why is there this national divide? Why is there this, this distinction between men and women? Well, I, I first want to go back into the Old Testament, explain to you why there was a partition there. Now, I will say this, that wall was there by God and by his purposes. Now, men take what God does and they twist it. And they make it what God never intended it to be. And I will highlight some of those things. So now, why is there a partition? Why is there a wall? One of the things that we see in this passage is this issue of food. God gives this vision to Peter of this sheet coming down to heaven with all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean, four-footed beasts, birds of the air, creeping things. And when the command from heaven comes to Peter and says, Peter... You're hungry. I want you to kill and eat. And Peter looks at the at the at the, at the 
group of animals in this sheet and says, well, that's unclean, that's unclean, that's unclean. Lord, I, I, can't, I can't just kill anything. I, I, nothing uncommon or unclean has ever come into my mouth. And the proclamation from heaven says, do not call common or unclean what I have what? Have made clean, the Lord says. So what is Peter referring to? What are, what are the, those of the circumcision referring to? Well, for that, I want you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus. Just for a few moments. In Leviticus chapter 11, all the way back in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 11, we begin to see some of the regulations, some of these, some of this wall, this partition that, that was put there by God. In, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 1, you have the, the God speaking through Moses to the children of Israel concerning the dietary laws of the Jews. Okay, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying uh, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, say, uh, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among the animals that are on the earth, among the animals which divide the hoof, having clothed hooves, and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those who chew the cud, or those who have clothed foot, clothed hooves, the camel, because it chews the cud and does not have the clothed foot, clothed hooves, is unclean to you. Now, it goes on for the entire chapter. Now, the Lord gave very specific uh, uh, dietary regulations to the Jews. And he says, listen, uh, for those of, of four-legged, you're going to eat only the animals that have a, a clothed foot, meaning their the, the, the hooves, were, were, were split in half and they chew the cud. So they can eat a lamb because a lamb chews the cud and the hooves are, 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 are clothed. Now, what about a pig? A pig has a clothed, clothed hoof, but it doesn't chew the cud. And so the Jews were to eat lamb, but they were not to eat pork. And it goes on. It gives regulation concerning birds. It gives regulation to seafood. He says for seafood, you can eat all that has scales. They're clean. But if they don't have scales, that is unclean. Well, you think, well, okay, well, most fish have scales, but there's a lot of fish who don't have scales. Well, what about the crustaceans? You know, those shrimp, man, fried shrimp is really good. That was off limits. Now, you may say, why would God give Israel as a nation, as a whole, these dietary laws? Now, some would speculate that, that he gave these laws for health reasons. Some of these animals uh, uh, pervade a lot of diseases. And, and that may be true. If, if you eat raw pork, uh, you're in for a world of hurt. I understand that. And, 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 and cooking meat at the time was not what it is today. We, they don't have instant meat thermometers where they can check to see the temperature of, of the meat. And, and so... Maybe the Lord did it for that reason. But I would tell you that's a secondary reason. The Lord gave them the dietary laws because He wanted to set Israel apart. And you may say, well, do you have a verse for that? Well, yes, I do. Uh, turn a couple pages in Leviticus. I believe chapter 20 here. Leviticus chapter 20. Beginning of verse 25 says, 
Uh, you shall therefore distinguish between clean animal and unclean, between clean bird and, uh, I'm sorry, unclean bird and clean. You shall not make yourselves abominable by the beast or by bird or by any, uh, any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. We follow. Look at verse 26, and this is what I want to highlight to you. And you shall be holy to me, the Lord God says. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from peoples that you should be mine. Did you catch that? The Lord separated the nation of Israel to be holy as he is holy, to be separate. And one of the features of their separation was their diet. You see, food is a very, is, is, is something that brings people together, doesn't it? If you like seafood and say, hey, I'm going to go have a clam bake at my house. Would you love to come? Now, we may not know each other very well, but we both like crab. We both like clams. And in that, we have fellowship, don't we? Food can bring people together. Food brings fellowship together. And so when God said, hey, listen, I am holy and therefore you should be holy. I am set apart. You should be set apart. And when you come together to eat, you should come together in holiness. And so the dietary laws were there to separate the Jews from the rest of the people. And so... I can go on. If you go to chapter 11, or back to chapter 11 and chapter 12 of Leviticus, it goes on beyond just the dietary things. It goes beyond to the things that they would touch. Uh, they're not allowed to touch carcasses of dead animals and so forth because that would defile them because God is holy and therefore they should be holy. And if someone were to touch a dead animal, they would be unclean for the entire day and they could never approach the temple or the tabernacle where God's present dwell because they were defiled. And so you begin to see that the, the laws and the regulations that God set for the, the children of Israel would begin to set them apart. Now, sadly, men take what God gives us and they begin to add to it. You see, the separation that God set for His people was never, never, now repeat, never was it supposed to isolate them from the world. Never were they supposed to circle the camp and let no one in. It was quite the opposite. They were to be lights and salt among the nations. They were to be the example to those around them. But what did the Jews do? What did the Pharisees do? They said, well, we we have to be holy as God is holy. Well, we need to be very careful. You see, those Gentiles, they eat pork. And if you stand inside their house, you may get defiled. If you touch something that, that may have touched a dead carcass, and, and, and you may be defiled. And so these, these laws that were meant to separate the children of Israel to be holy unto God became a chip on their shoulder. Became a point of, of pride to the children of Israel. And they would then turn up their heads and turn their noses at the Gentile people. These unclean people. And the rabbis would even say, as rabbis would commentate upon the Old Testament, they would say Gentiles are nothing but fodder 
for the fires of hell. And that was their view of Gentiles. And you may say to me, okay, that's a lot of nice historical perspective. But was that true in Peter's day? Well, I'm glad you asked. Those are very good questions, by the way. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. In Gospel of John, I'm going to give you one instance because we're running out of time. But uh, And then we're actually going to get into our passage, Lord willing. In the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Here, you're going to see... You're going to see the the, the very the very uh, bigotry of the Jews towards the Gentiles. Um, in, here in the trial of Jesus Christ, the trial the the the, the, the priests have, have captured and arrested Jesus Christ. They, they they bring him before the high priest and, and they, they they begin to to charge him and, and to mistreat him. And then they take him to Pilate. Pilate was a Gentile. Look at verse 28 of chapter 18 of John. It says, And they led Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, to the praetorium. And it was early morning. And it says, But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled. Now, I'm not going to get into the fact, the irony, that here they are taking the the only perfect man and abusing and getting ready to crucify him, and they're worried about being defiled by the home of a Gentile. The hypocrisy of it all. You see, they could never stand foot. They could never walk into a Gentile's home because you don't know what's inside the home that could defile you. And we could never, ever profane the name of God. And yet they were breathing murder underneath their breath towards not just any man, but towards the very God they supposedly served. Now you may say, well, th- th- that's, that's a very sad statement. The Jews and the bigotry of the Jews. But I, I will tell you that, that, that it, it worked both ways. Bigotry and, 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 and racism, whatever you want to call it, it works both ways. The, Jew, the Jews did not like and despise the Gentiles, but I would tell you the Gentiles did not like the Jews either. The, the, the historians would, would write of the Jews that they, they make good slaves and good servants. And there's nothing good in them but to be a slave. The Gentiles, the Romans, despise the Jews. In fact, if you look in this very passage, you see the attitude of the Gentiles when Pilate... Here in verse 33, it says, Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to them, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, Are you speaking of yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Now look at what Pilate says. Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? Am I a Jew that your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me? What have I do? What have I to do with you? Do you see the derogatory uh, attitude and statement? The Gentiles, the Romans, would look down upon the Jews. So it was a mutual disrespect for one another, and there was this great wall, this great divide between Jew and Gentile. From sadly, from the time of Moses all the way to the time of Jesus. And I can give you far more references. But this is, this is the, 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 the circumstances in which we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 10. Now, turn with me back to Acts chapter 10. 
And in Acts chapter 10, we're going to very quickly, I'm going to give you the outline of Acts chapter 10 and into 11, and we're going to see how far we can get with the help of the Lord. In Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, we're going to see the Lord's preparation of Cornelius. I'm going to repeat that. Verses 1 through 8, we have God's preparation of Cornelius. In verses 9 all the way through to 23, we have God's preparation of Peter. And then verses 24 through the end, I'm sorry, through verse 43, you have the conversion of Cornelius and his household. And lastly, which we're, not, we're probably not going to get to, but I may allude to, verses 44 of chapter 11 through chapter 11 into verse 18 of chapter 11, you have God's preparation of the circumcision. Those are the main four sections. Those are the fame, uh, four main points, uh, and we'll see how far we can get. So having all that background in our minds, understanding this great wall, this great divide that is between Jew and Gentile, Israelite and Roman, here we have this story. You have Cornelius, and it gives us detail about this man. This man is a centurion. He, a centurion is a, is a, a, a Roman general who's in charge of a hundred men, a hundred soldiers. And generally, there were six centurion in a region. So in Caesarea, there was probably five other centurions with a hundred men who were, who they were in charge of. So here is this man, Cornelius, in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers in Caesarea. Now, the details that were given about him were unique, weren't they? Number one, he's Italian. I don't think we've met an Italian in the, in the New Testament as of yet. But here is an Italian. Here's Cornelius of the Italian regiment. He's not of the Asia Minor regiment. He's not of Corinth. But he is of Rome itself. And he's all the way, he, he's not in Rome, but he's all the way in Caesarea. Now Caesarea was, was this Roman city on the coast of the Mediterranean, just, just uh, direct west of, of Galilee. And it was a very wealthy city. There was a lot of affluence there. Pilate had his home there. And so we find Cornelius a Gentile. He's different. He's different than most Gentiles. For we read that this, this Gentile, this, this Italian, this Roman, feared God. He was a devout man who feared God and gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So the, the first thing I, I want to pause and I want us to, to begin to, to digest in, in, in this passage is who God is in this story. Now, we began in, in Leviticus, we began how, how the Lord would, would specifically call His people out to be separate because they're to be holy. But I highlighted the fact that they were never supposed to encamp themselves and never view outward. And, and, and by the way, there's a lot of examples in the Old Testament that they were never supposed to just uh, uh, build the walls and, and never look outside and never care about the outside world. One of the greatest prophets ever sent by the Lord was not sent to the children of Israel, was never sent to Judah, but was sent to a Gentile nation. 
What was Jonah? Jonah was a Jew sent to where? To the Gentile nation. Now he went begrudgingly and he kicked and screamed the whole way, but he went. The Lord went out to the Jews. So went out to the Gentiles. So, so here we have a Gentile. Yet this Gentile somehow, we don't know how, we're not given this, but this Gentile has been introduced to the Jehovah of Israel. He's been introduced to the one creator, to the one God. And in all his life, with all the polygamy and, 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 and all the different idols and all these things that he must have been raised with, by the grace of God, he had seen the futility of it all. And he has found hope and fear in the one true God. Now, there's some debate whether Cornelius is a proselyte or he's not. I don't want to debate with you that this morning. But he feared God. He feared God. Why is that so important to me? Listen, here's one who is far and distance from the promises of God. Israel was given this privilege. The Jews were given this privilege of, of, of having the law given to them, having the presence of God amongst them. They were to be the light amongst the nations. And here is an Italian who is thousands of miles away from where God's presence dwelt. And God led this man to himself. Now, I, 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 I belabor this point for this reason. When you, when you talk to different people, when you talk to, to believers and non-believers, they, 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 they all struggle with this idea that, that how can God be just? How can God be just if there's people out there who have never heard of the name of Jesus Christ, who are nowhere near somebody who can tell them about Jesus Christ, could never tell him about salvation. How is that just? How can I do the math in my head? How can I make that right? God is just. I know he is just. But yet there's so many people so far, so far from a Bible, so far from a church. What chance do they got to hear salvation? And the truth is, I don't think it's meant for us to do the math. It's not for us to, to, to figure out all the details. For our, our job is to trust and believe that God is true and just. And Cornelius, to me, is a shining example of such a thing. What do we see in Cornelius? One who was afar off. One who was distant from the promises of God. And when God gave this man light, God showed them whatever the revelation was, no matter how minute or small the revelation of God was, This man obeyed that light. Whether he was introduced by by, by a Jew of a synagogue uh, of the God of the nation of Israel, a God who was benevolent, a God who was just, a God who was loving. And he could not turn away from that fact. And he obeyed the light that he was given. And you see, I would tell you that My God is big enough. Our God is big enough. That no matter where a soul is upon this earth, 
doesn't matter where or how remote an individual may be. If an individual would simply obey the light that they are given. If they, they turn and recognize as simple or as little as that light may be. If they obey the light of God. God will be sure to give them more light. And my God is big enough to redeem them. Just as in Cornelius' case. Just in Cornelius' case, one who was so far off. One, one who simply took the little truth, the little light that he was given, and he held it on with his hands, and he, and he, and he prayed, and he gave alms, and he wanted to be just, and he wanted to be right before his God. God says, your prayers have come to a remembrance. Your alms have been come, come before me. And God says, hey, Simon, I mean Cornelius, I need you to go down. I'd send a, send a couple guys down to Joppa. A couple things before we, we move to the next section concerning Cornelius. Some of the things that I, when I, when, when I read and, and I meditate upon these things that, that, that completely surprise me and excite me. When I think of the reaction of Cornelius. A Gentile. A, 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 an Italian. A, one who was distant. One, one who, who, who probably did not have the, the access to the Old Testament like most people did. And yet here is an angel appearing in his house. While he is praying and fasting. And had this vision. And this man said to him. This man in brightly colored clothes said said, Cornelius. Listen. I want you to send men down to Joppa. And I want you to find this man named Simon. Whose surname is Peter. By the way. Who's staying in the house of a man named Simon. Who's a tanner. Who's by the sea. Like, like, like listen. I don't want you to miss a beat. I'm going to give you every single detail Cornelius. And we read that Cornelius listened, received it, and acted immediately. Now it doesn't say it in this in this telling of it, but when when Cornelius retells it to Peter, he says after he left, I immediately called my two servants, called one of my, one of my my favorite soldiers that, that I rely on, and I sent them on their way after I told them what to do. Now I don't know about you. God doesn't necessarily work amongst visions as he did back then. I don't know if God gave me a vision, would I act in such a way? Would I, would I react with such faith, with such immediacy? I, I, I highlight that because I, it speaks to the heart of this man. This man feared God. This man was, was ripe for salvation. This man was ready to be redeemed by God. He, there was no doubt in his heart. Whatever God asked, whatever he desired, he moved. And I, and I, and I, I plead with you and I plead with my own heart. Are we like so? Are we ready to jump at the chance of God's command? Are we ready to move at the calling of God in our lives? Or do we question it all? I, Think about the commands of the angel to Cornelius. Cornelius, listen, I, I, I want you to send men down there. 
to find Simon Peter, who's staying at the house of Simon. And I want you to bring him to your house, and he will tell you what to do. Um, why, why can't I just go? What, what do I have to send two guys? I, 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 I'm dying to know what you want me to do. Why can't I just go with them? Or, or, or maybe, why can't you just tell me? Why do I have to go send somebody? Hey, listen, we, we just read about Saul last week. The Lord himself came down for Saul. The Lord himself confronted Saul. And yet here's Cornelius, and an angel says, Hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to send two guys, go down and bring them all back. Cornelius didn't stop to think about his convenience. Cornelius didn't stop to think, Well, does this make sense? He simply obeyed. He simply obeyed the faith of Cornelius. He acted. And so we see Cornelius, um, the preparation of Cornelius by the Lord. Next, we come to Peter's preparation, the Lord preparing Peter. Now, we'll probably just stay at this section and not move forward, and we'll cover the rest on, on Monday at small groups, just because we're out of time. But the preparation of Peter is just as important as the preparation of Cornelius. And, and, and I started the, 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 this morning by, by taking you back to the Old Testament, by, by showing you why the, the, there's this great wall of divide. And listen, before, before I, we get into this is very important. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is, this is the, the, the doctrine, this is the, the historical event in which this doctrine is lived out. Ephesians chapter 2 for me, please. Turn with me there really, really quickly. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse, hang on, here we are. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, listen to me. It says, therefore remember. This is, this is Paul speaking to Gentile. Rem, therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by the hand, by, by, uh, made in the flesh by hands that at I'm sorry, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That was Cornelius, wasn't it? So distant, so far. What are the chances? Verse 13, but... But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, the Lord is going to tear this wall apart. This, this partition, this partition that separated both Jew and Gentile. The Lord is taking it apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what the church is going to be from now on. You see, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Jews were to be set apart holy, to be representatives of God upon this earth. Now, the Lord is saying, hey, in the church, the church is going to be my representative. The church is going to be my light in this world. And my church is going to be filled with both Jew and Gentile. And therefore, this wall partition that exists needs to be brought down, needs to be taken down, because my church is one body, one flesh, one head. 
There is no differentiation. There is no Jewish believer. There is no Gentile believer. There is one church. And God had to tear down this wall. So Peter. It's interesting. Peter. Peter is unique in all the apostles that he was given keys, keys to the kingdom. Peter seems to be our markers in the book of Acts. It, it is Peter who's there at Pentecost when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit descends upon the, the apostles and the disciples there in Jerusalem. And it is Peter who then preaches to his brethren. It is Peter who then uh, goes to Samaria with John and, and lays hands upon the Samaritans, those half-breeds who were hated by the Jews, by the way. And the Holy Spirit is indwelt the Samaritans. And so we see that through Peter you have the Holy Spirit going from, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And now you have Peter being called to the Gentiles. Now the Lord, one of the things that I find gracious and beautiful about our Lord is that He is, he is a God who knows you. And He meets you where you're at. What do I mean by that? Well, look at Peter. Remember, Peter was a Jew. Peter, Peter was a, was a, was, a, was an Orthodox Jew. He was of the circumcision. He, he, he lived his whole life keeping the kosher laws. Remaining clean, not being ceremonially unclean. And yet, here you have the Lord beginning to strip away some of those man-made traditions. Some of those things that men had built up. Some of those things that he wears upon his shoulders. Those chips. He first sent them to the Samaritans and he beheld the Holy Spirit coming to the Samaritans. Now, in chapter 9, he has Peter, not in Jerusalem, by the way, but he has him in Lydda, just to the northeast. And then from Lydda, he sends him to Joppa. And the Lord begins to take Peter and he begins to lead him from place to place and begins to do wonderful things with Peter. And Peter is beginning to see the Lord do marvelous things that he didn't necessarily expect. And at the end of chapter 9, the Lord brings back from the dead the disciple Tabitha. And it says that he remained in Joppa. And the unique thing is that he remained in Joppa in the house of a tanner. Now a tanner is one who takes hides and treats the hides to make leather. Now, I alluded to you in the, at the beginning of this message in Leviticus chapter chapter uh, twelve. You have the the, the the ceremonial clean and unclean, right? If you touch an, a, a dead animal, you touch a carcass, you become unclean. And for a Jew, you want it to be clean, so that if you needed to go into the temple to to offer up sacrifice, you needed to be ceremonially clean. Now, if your job was a tanner, and every day you touch carcasses. You could never really approach the temple of God because you were unclean. Yet you find Peter in Joppa staying with Simon the Tanner. Why? Why would Peter do such a thing? I, so sometimes I, my, my imagination, I, I, hopefully it's my sanctified imagination, kind of runs a little bit wild on me. But I wonder if Peter sat down and, and, and as he's there in Joppa and seeing the Lord do wonderful things, is, is the Lord and the Holy Spirit bringing back things that are, are, the Lord Jesus Christ said to him? I, I'm thinking of, of Mark chapter 7. 
of Mark chapter 7 there when the disciples are there and they're eating and the Pharisees are saying, what is wrong with your disciples? They're eating without washing their hands. They're defiled hands. They're not washing, washing the pitchers. They're not keeping the traditions and the regulations. And the Lord says, listen, it's not what goes into a man that defiles the man. It's not what you eat that, that, that makes you unclean. It's not that what you eat that makes you sinful. It's not what you eat that makes you evil. He says, it, it's what comes out of the man, he says. I, I, I imagine the Pharisees were, were, were flabbergasted. What do you mean it doesn't matter what, what you eat? Absolutely it matters what you eat. And yet we find Peter here in the house of a tanner. Peter, at noon, high noon, goes up to the roof to pray. And he's hungry, like anybody, any normal human being at noon. But he decides to go up to the roof front to find some privacy and to pray. And the Lord begins to prepare Peter. He's slowly been chipping away at, at, at all his man, man, uh, man-made traditions. He's starting to chip away at, at, at all those things that make him proud of being a Jew. And he gives him this vision. Now, listen, as far as we know, this is the only vision that Peter ever had. We don't have any other recorded. So we can assume that it may be the only one. And he has this vision. Peter has this vision of this great sheet coming down from heaven and having all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean. And the call is given to him. Peter, you need to rise up, kill and eat. Now, I want to highlight this. Because I love Peter. I love Peter because he's very much a man like me. He's very much a man or human like you. He opens his mouth without thinking. Here he is in this in this in this trance in this vision, and, and God is, is showing them this, this marvelous thing, this 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 platform coming down from heaven and seeing all these animals all, and the command from heaven says, Peter, go kill and eat. And he says, Not so, Lord. Now, the, the irony in the statement should not be lost on you. If he is Lord, how could we say not so? And if you say not so, how can he be Lord? And what, what, what marvels me is that this, by the way, happens how many times? Three times. Three times it happens. Three times it's repeated. Peter, rise up, kill and eat. Oh, not so, Lord. Peter, do not call common or clean what I have made clean. Three times. Think about the Lord repeating to Peter three times, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. The crow will, the cock will not crow until you've denied me three times. And three times he denies him. And Peter weeps bitterly. The Lord, after his resurrection, meets him by the seaside and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, I do. Three times the Lord asks him, do you love me? 
And here is a God himself speaking to him. Peter, listen. I, I, I know you were born and raised in the Jewish tradition. And I know nothing unclean has ever come into your mouth. But here is a command from heaven itself saying, Peter, rise up, kill and eat. And you're saying not so. Three times. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is gracious to his people. It says that Peter was left there on that roof after this sheet goes up to heaven. Now, I I would post to you, what, what, what does that sheet signify? And let you let you think about that. What do you think that sheet signifies to us today? Besides just the eating of unclean and clean animals. There's great significance in that sheet. But Peter was left on the roof pondering and thinking about what he had seen. I imagine the fact that it happened three times, it was ringing in his mind. It was the, the fact that he said, not so, Lord, was, was bothering his conscience. And while he's on the roof trying to figure out what just happened, the Holy Spirit says, hey, Peter, there's three men at the gate. I have sent them. Go with them and doubt nothing. And doubt nothing. I, I, I love the fact that the Lord is patient with a man like Peter. He is kind and gentle with a man like Peter. He just, he just rejected God's direct command with a vision from heaven. And he said, hey, Peter, just so you know, there's three guys looking for you. One of them is a Roman soldier, by the way, so don't, don't, don't be scared. I sent them. Go with them. And don't doubt. Don't lose faith, Peter. Trust that I know what's best. And so Peter goes downstairs, goes and meets him at the gate and says, uh, I, I'm Simon. I'm Simon Peter. Who are you looking for? Uh, why are you here? And the three men explain to him and recount to him briefly what they're doing. He said, listen, hey, we work for a man named Cornelius. He's a centurion. He, he's, a, he's a general in the Roman guard. And, and he sent us because an angel appeared to him. And the angel said, hey, listen, you need to send people down to Joppa and you need to bring them. And this is, as I read this, this is what I imagine Peter's mind was, was happening in verse 22 and it says they said cornelius the centurion a just man one who feared god and has a good reputation among the nation of the jews by the way was divinely instructed by the holy angel by a holy angel to summon you now think about the irony you have two men having a vision from god one a gentile one distant from the promise of god and one a jew one a disciple, one an apostle. Cornelius obeyed and moved immediately. And here is the Christian. Here is the believer doubting and struggling in his mind. The irony of it, isn't it? But here's, as they're, as they're retelling all this story, a just man, uh, uh, one who fears God, a good reputation, gives alms to the Jews. The holy angel gave him instruction and it says, to summon you, 
to his house. I, I imagine the bells and the flags were going nuts in, in, in Peter's head. You want me to go into a Gentile's house? Well, I mean, again, in my own thinking, what, what, I mean, come on. Why can't we just do a Zoom call real quick, you know? I mean, honestly, what, why do I have to go over there? Well, what, what, why can't we meet in the square in the market and we can talk there? No, but, but, but you see, it was a holy angel who came and summoned him and said, Hey, listen, you need to come to his house. That was the command. That was the instruction. You need to come to his house. And the world of Peter begins to shatter. And his worldview begins to shatter. And I say, Oh man, I hope he gets it. And I think he began to get it. What does it say? It says, Peter invited them in and lodged them for the night. The, the, the one who said, nothing unclean has ever entered to my house, Lord, my mouth, Lord. I, I have nothing with uncleanliness. Is now saying, okay, Lord. I understand. I don't know all things you do. I'm going to follow and so these men, imagine, came in the midday. It's about lunch hour. They come on inside. We'll have a meal. It's too late to get back on the road to, to walk out to, to Caesarea. It's about a day and a half journey. Let's just start in the morning. And he let them stay in. I, 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 I appreciate that because you know what? The Lord's patience and perseverance with, with stubborn children has an effect, doesn't it? He was patient with Peter. He's patient with you. He's patient with me. The question is, are we willing to obey? Are we willing to listen as the Lord leads and follows? Now, we're, we're well past time, so I will pause it there. I'd, I'd encourage you to continue to meditate, not just on chapter 10, but chapter 11, and even into chapter 9. There is so much here for the believer so much for us to gleam, so much for us to, 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 to live out in our lives. One of the things that keeps amazing me from time to time, and I'll close with this, is some of the words that Cornelius says. And, and I pray that they would be true in my life. When, when, when Peter finally makes it there and he recounts what happened, to, what happened in his house and an angel came and told him what to do. It's verse 33. He says, so I, I sent, I sent to you immediately. My prayer for you and for me is that we would obey immediately when the Lord guides and leads and teaches. And it says, you have done well to come talking to Peter. Now, now listen to this. Now, therefore, we are all present. We are all present before God to hear all things commanded by God. Did you, did you grasp that? Here's Cornelius, a Gentile, an Italian centurion, sitting in Caesarea. And here he is with his family and his friends and his neighbors sitting here. Here we are, ready to hear all things that God has commanded us to do. 
Oh, that I would act in such a way. Oh, that I would respond in such a way when God in his word would, would, would speak to me and command to me to move. Am I ready? Am I ready to listen to God and to follow him? The sad truth is most of the time we're not. We're too busy. We're, I'm too distracted. To hear all things commanded by God. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your, your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your tenderness. Lord, as, as we, we look upon this passage and we see you move amongst men, Lord, I, I pray that we would be men and women who are, are doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, help us to move and act when you ask us to move and to act. Lord, help us to have faith with no doubt. Lord, you are worthy of so much more. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word. Help us to apply it to our hearts and minds this morning. Let us have a heart like Cornelius to immediately obey and to be eager to hear your word. I ask all these things in your son's precious name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.